0: Welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason,
2: and with me, is Rich. Hello, Rich. What is going on?
0: Oh, not a whole lot. You know, it's uh, kind of the dead point of the uh, NBA season. You know, we're in that transition between the 2018 and 2019 uh, NBA seasons. Uh, Most of the big frigid news has happened. You know, you might get a... August trade here, uh, you know, coming up. You know, there's always, always seems to be like weird trade in August that uh, is a big deal. But uh, outside of that, not much happening in the real NBA. But in our uh, 20 years ago uh, NBA universe, there's quite a bit going on.
2: Yeah, things are popping uh, quite a bit here. Uh, yeah, the the you know our actual world is 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 slowing down a little bit for the next you know month or so. As you said, there's probably gonna be one you know one one more trade that kind of surprises us, but for other. For other purposes, basically got about a month or so until things kind of slow down a little bit and training camps get going or whatnot. But, man, things are hot and heavy 20 years ago, man. There is a lot going down right now.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so we uh, we're a little behind on our uh, 20 years ago uh, tracking. So we uh, g- got busy, had some vacations, some things happened. So we're uh, we're going to cover quite a bit of ground here. We're going to start with the. Uh, yeah, you got and-
2: trapped in Casablanca for like five days or something. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't get home. You <laughs> I We're just did. trying to get home. Yeah, trying uh, to do this uh, podcast. You're like people, uh, I need to get exactly. on that plane. Right. I got to <laughs> talk about the NBA <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's on. how I talked myself onto that last plane. Was I had to do a podcast. That's that's. Exactly <laughs> right. how I got to go. Come on. So, yeah. <laughs> No, but uh, yeah. So yeah. So we're we're starting with the uh, we're done with the NBA playoffs. We're going to reach uh, up until the uh, the point where free agency uh, will begin, or will it? That's the dumb. That's the that's the question. Yes. So, uh, but we'll we'll start with the playoffs, and we'll see where we get. So. Um, and we will start with the the first round, of course, which is the place that you would start the playoffs. Uh, with the, uh, the the battle of the uh, four versus five, seed, the Charlotte Hornets uh, taking on the Atlanta Hawks, and Charlotte won that series uh, uh, f- f- three games to one. This is back, of course, when uh, we are still in uh, best of five uh, first rounds.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty interesting series because uh, you have the uh, you know the Hornets who are. Are kind of ebbing and flowing a little bit. They've gone through some you know drastic changes over the last few years in terms of moving away from your Alonzo Mornings and moving away from your Larry Johnsons and and going more towards the Anthony Masons, the Glenn Rices, that sort of next generation of the Hornets and the Hawks are actually we're going to talk about them a lot on this. They're a surprisingly competent team uh, at this point. I mean, obviously they lose this round and that, that's kind of disappointing, but I mean we're in the midst of like one of the you know <laughs> you know well it was brief it was brief but it was kind of a Hawks renaissance for a little bit. I mean in the in the mid 90s they were winning 50 plus games or whatever. I think this. This year, they won about 42 or whatnot, or 47, uh, rather. But you know, they're, they're starting to get there. You're starting to see, hey, okay, we got to Kemi Wetumbo, we got some things going on. So, so two pretty interesting teams, but uh, match up here in a tough, tough series uh, for Atlanta, dropping 3 uh, 1. Most notable game, I'd say, game four, uh, mostly because the Hornets close out the series in the Georgia Dome after a big blowout loss in game three, and that game three loss. The Hawks beat them 96 to 64, which seems like that's a hard game to come back from. And they come back, you know, a few days later and win 91 82 to close out the series and move on to the second round. Uh, top performer of the series, though, uh, probably Anthony Mason. He had uh, 23 points per game, he had uh, six. Uh, 0.627 true shooting percentage, 8.3 rebounds per game, 2.8 assists per game. So Anthony Mace is doing a lot of stuff there. Uh, and interestingly enough, so the Hawks they they you know they win or they lose rather three one they actually won the series on point differential. You know helped in large part by a 96-64 win. But a lot of the other games were close. The game one they went they lost by ten. Uh, game two they only lost by a handful of points. And of course that game four uh, lost by uh, only a little bit as well. But then that 96-64 will definitely uh, skew the numbers a little bit there. So the Hawks on point differential should have won it, but on the court did not. Not, unfortunately, yeah,
0: we all know the point of French is the true, you know, armor, right? Of it should win, especially in a four game, you know, sample that obviously, you know, is, is <laughs> definitely scientific. It's my understanding of science, is that's the way that it should work. So, actually, we're going to declare Atlanta the winner of the series, they get to move on to the next round, right? We're um, gonna do a butterfly
2: so- effect here where we're gonna basically go from every single Series who won the point differential and determined the real NBA champion this year. Exactly. Yes. Which so. is, of course, hopefully going to be the Atlanta Hawks. Is what I'm guessing. But we'll find out.
0: I, I would guess. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yes. So, uh, next we have uh, the, uh, the the first seeded Chicago Bulls against the eighth seeded New Jersey Nets. Uh, exciting times here and uh well not exactly an exciting series the uh, bulls uh, were able to uh, sweep the nets uh three games to zero of course uh first two wins were fairly narrow for the uh, bulls though they only won game one 96 93 at home and then 96 91 at home so the uh the, the nets were able to kind of give them a uh, a tough time at first though the bulls won game three uh, pretty handily there but uh the nets you know sherman douglas carry kittles uh Keith Van Horn, Jason Williams, Kendall Gill, you know, nice little, uh, uh, even Ronnie Cycli, the newcomer, you know, having some uh, minor contributions, although only played 37 minutes in the uh, series in three games, so not doing a whole lot there. But, eh,
2: you know, that's all right. He's, tr- he's trying his hardest. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, series for the Nets. I mean, of course, they go down 3-0, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's pretty fun. So before the series, I found this. It was from the New York Times article uh, called about the NBA. It's called the NBA playoffs. Jordan Jittery. Uh, sure. Concerned, not at all. And uh, Jordan is asked, "What would happen for the Nets to win once in this three out of five game series? What would happen for the Nets to win once, one game out of this entire series?" Jordan says, "We'd have to fall asleep." <laughs> so not not a lot of you know not a lot of praise there for the New Jersey Nets from old Michael Jordan. But uh, he also says we'd like to get this over as soon as possible, which is uh, not great. But yeah, and then that's funny because the game one, the Nets really gave him a scare. Um, the Bulls are pretty big. The Nets scored twenty seven. In the fourth quarter and bring the game to overtime, which is nuts. I mean, that would have been that have been something if the Nets had. I mean, again, butterfly effect. The Nets win the NBA championship, of course, after winning that game one. Sure, absolutely. But no, like even then, like that's still a pretty big deal to get. And and especially where we saw where the Bulls were at. You know, we'll kind of hint towards it a little bit later. But you probably know the Bulls go on and do some pretty good stuff in the rest of this playoffs. But even an extra game on a team that was really old and really injury riddled and stuff would have been, you know, pretty interesting. I'm not saying that they would have lost the NBA finals because they lost this game to the Nets, but I think it would have been kind of interesting to see them not be able to bruise through this right away. Uh, Interesting to note, this is the Nets' first playoff game since 1994, so thank God things are looking up for the New Jersey Nets. I hope this momentum carries on forever. I'm sure it will. Uh, Top performer, I mean, it's probably going to be Michael Jordan. He had uh, 36.3 points per game on 62. Uh, sixty-two point one percent true shooting. Uh, but I'll give the Nets a little bit of love. Sherman Douglas, you mentioned him a little bit earlier. Eighteen point three points per game, eight point three assists per game. So Sherman Douglas putting up some big numbers here in the series. But uh, yeah. ultimately, the Nets fall 3-0. Yeah,
0: playing big over Sam Cassell too. Cassell barely played in the series, which is right.
2: Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like the weird Sam Cassell era where he was like, "I'm good, I think," and then yeah, yeah. And he had a, he had a lot of weird stops there for a while in his career. It's it's interesting to see. You know, because he became such a reliable player and became such a long time veteran presence, but there was weird stops like around this time. Like obviously he had instant success with Houston, then a little bit of issues in Dallas. Couldn't quite find his footing there. In New Jersey, I mean things were real bad. in New Jersey, where like you said, you know other guys are playing above him, and you got to imagine you know that he's kind of thinking, well, what the hell is going on here? But obviously he goes to Milwaukee, and, and things go pretty well from there. Right? Yeah. So.
0: Next, we have the uh, the Indiana Pacers uh, taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Pacers are the third seed. The Cavs are the uh, sixth seed, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a it's a three to one win for the uh, Pacers. Uh, they, they handle business pretty well here. Uh, they win in a blowout in Game One in, in Indianapolis, and then it, it kind of cascades from there. The Cavs are able to pull it out in Game Three, and the other margins are you know only six points for the losses there. So it got closer from there, but. Not really, uh, you know. Uh, not really much to say about this one. Not not super exciting stuff.
2: No, not really. Uh, the most noteworthy game I found was Game Four. Not that the game matters all that much, but I think it's pretty representative of the era because the final score was sixty to seventy-four. So that's uh, not great. Not I, I, great r- at all. Rich, I'm eighty to seventy-four, but. Oh, wait, what did I say? Sixty? That would have yeah. been real bad. It just <laughs>
0: felt like that, I'm sure. But yes,
2: <laughs> I'm sure. I haven't watched it, but I'm sure it felt like the Pacers only scored sixty. But yeah, the Pacers went with eighty to seventy-four. Dollars. Sorry about that. But uh, also interesting to note, uh, looking in our crystal ball, this will be the last playoff game for the Cavaliers until two thousand six. So it take quite a while for them to come back. Uh, top performer again. We've kind of broken down this narrative many times on, on the straight over and back, as well as these twenty years later. But Sean Kemp was still awesome. So the narrative that he went to the Cavs and immediately started sucking is bad because he had twenty six points per game and ten points Three rebounds per game. Now <laughs> things are going to get a little dicey after the lockout, but at this point, still, Sean Kemp is still pretty fucking solid. So, yeah. Next, we have the uh, Knicks against
0: the uh, Heat, and this was the big surprise. Yeah, of nothing the- here, I'm
2: sure. <laughs> it's just a yeah. standard no,
0: Knicks Heat. I mean, come on, 1998 yeah. Knicks Heat. Nothing really happened, I'm sure. Sure, sure, sure. Nothing, nothing too exciting here. In, in fact, the, uh, the Knicks are able to uh, win in a, um, a bold upset to the seven seed beating the uh, two seed in uh, this series. But there were some extenuating circumstances
2: yes so uh building off left last, last year's playoff rivalry it was charlie Ward and pj brown got in a fight last year uh when these two uh teams faced off and then i uh, think stayed pretty calm until game four which is actually interesting i think most people assume by game one because these guys like hated it. these teams hated each other there was like weird internal beefs between just number i mean you had pat riley versus the knicks you had larry johnson and alonzo like you just had tons of stuff here it was really really weighty in terms of the amount of rivalries that you had uh but game four things got a little uh eh, not great so uh uh, Knicks win 90-85, uh, to 85, but the big story is the fight. Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning got into a fight in the closing seconds of the game, uh, both through several punches, none uh, really connected, uh, but they will be suspended, then both guys, uh, for Game 5, and um, yeah, it became a, quite, the, uh, quite the ordeal there for that, uh, that Game 5 fight, and it's a pretty famous fight as well in uh, NBA history.
0: Yeah, of course they, you know, had that uh, association with each other when they were in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Expedition did a good uh, yes. their beef history series did kind of a good breakdown of. Um, of that situation but yes yeah, so they did not care much for each other and uh and the knicks were able to uh take advantage of um you know morning obviously the, the more important player sure although, absolutely uh you yeah, are very good as well uh worth noting that you know, patrick king was still injured did not play in uh this uh, series so that maybe some uh, a bit of ewing effect there for those who, uh, we've already kind of uh, we, we've tried to uh you dismantle that idea but you know but if you want to believe in it there's your evidence right there so right
2: <laughs> they yes, won exactly. yeah. if, if patrick if patrick ewing was out and they won ergo patrick ewing is bad yes. so, or and, something. <laughs> and,
0: and then the knicks won uh game five uh, fairly easily 98 to 81 in uh in miami as of, of course um they were uh they he lost their best player and uh were unfortunately unable to recover from that mm-hmm. at least if you're a heat fan which one would you be, but, you know.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, top performers of the series, Tim Hardaway, played really well. He scored 26 uh, points per game, and he only had 18.9 in the regular season, so you saw him really step up in these playoff series. Uh, 6.6 assists per game, and he had a 58.9 true shooting percentage. Also shot 43.6% from three, so go Tim Hardaway on that. Uh, we should also mention Alan Houston. Now, he was starting to emerge a little bit more, and, and you know, once Ewing went down, they were kind of searching for that next guy up, and, and Alan Houston really became that guy, uh, and particularly in this playoff series, uh, 23.2 points per game, 4.8. Uh, rebounds per game, three point uh, oh assists per game, but uh, Allen Houston starting to become one of the primary options on the team, and and something we would see in the next few years of Knicks of, of history, he would become sort of the de facto leader. He would sort of emerge as as probably their top player uh, over the next couple of seasons.
0: So next we have the uh, Trail Blazers and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers being the third seed, the Blazers being the uh, sixth seed. And uh, it was the second straight year that the two teams played in the first round, and the result was identical with the uh, Lakers winning uh, three games to one. Um, the uh, the Lakers narrowly won game one, 104 to 102. Uh, the, the rest of the game, well, game Game. The Blazers winning Game Three was was slightly close. The other games were not uh, super competitive, but uh, Ritual was interesting about this series.
2: Yeah, I think uh, some interesting things here is the six consecutive years that the Blazers had lost in the opening round of the playoffs, which is uh, <laughs> pretty miserable and kind of hurts a little bit. Uh, noteworthy games. I mean, there's not a ton here, but I think probably Game 1 is the one you're going to look at because it was Portland's best chance to upset the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers came in definitely as the favorites here uh, with Portland as, as, as somewhat the underdogs. Would have been interesting to see if they won that Game 1 how things may have turned around a little bit, but uh, yeah, Lakers squeaked by with a two-point win and then really pretty much don't look back for the rest of the series. Uh, top performer is going to be Shaquille O'Neal, who was just an absolute beast around this time. Uh, 29 uh, points per game, 11.8 rebounds per game. Shot 65.3% from the field, too, which is pretty uh, pretty remarkable, pretty tough to guard there. But uh, yeah, Shaq giving the Blazers a uh, lot to handle there in that first round.
0: Next we have the uh, Spurs and the Suns. The, uh, the Spurs uh, being the Uh, three, excuse me, the Spurs being the five seed, the Suns being the four seed. So the Spurs, the Suns actually uh, being uh, this being a slight upset, I guess, in uh, the situation. Uh, And um, yeah, the uh, fairly competitive series throughout most of the games were at least fairly close up until uh, uh, game four, which was a pretty big domination from the uh, Spurs. But but yes, this is the beginning of the uh, Tim Duncan in the uh, playoffs uh, era, uh, I guess you could say.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean, game one is probably the most noteworthy game of the series, not for anything that really happened on the court, I guess, in some ways. But it's a playoff debut for Tim Duncan, and he'd have, of course, many, many, many more playoff games uh, after this. And he acclimated himself pretty well to uh, playoff basketball. He had 32 points, 10 rebounds on 12-21 of 21 shooting. So Tim Duncan, pretty much from the moment go, <laughs> <from> the, <laughs> the word go was, was ready to go in the playoffs. Uh, top performers, I'm going to kind of extend this to a, people, uh, a few people, uh, the Spurs triple towers. Yes, it's a triple tower. Yeah, David Robinson. He has 20.3 points per game. 16 rebounds per game in this series. Duncan has 20.3 points per game, 9.8 rebounds per game. And of course the Spurs next biggest player. Oh, wait, no, it's Avery Johnson, really small Avery Johnson, but he gave the Spurs 20.5 points per game on a ridiculous 65.2 true shooting percentage. I don't know what the hell got into Avery, but man, he was eating well in the series against Phoenix. That's, that's a big explosion for old Avery there.
0: I had, uh, I've forgotten how old the, uh, Spurs were at this point because, um, of their top seven players, all of them are older than 30 except for Tim Duncan. Got Avery Johnson, David Robinson, Jaron Jackson, Vidal Negro, Chuck Person, and Will Perdue are all uh, 30 and older. Most of them are <laughs> 32 <laughs> and 33. Yeah, wow.
2: So Yes. Yeah. Did that? Did that carry over the next year then too? Because I'm trying to remember. I think they started including a few more uh, younger guys. I know like Malik Rose got some playing time. Antonio Daniels started playing a little bit more. Yeah. I, I think. I think they got a little younger the next year when they would. You know, of course, Crystal Ball win yeah. win the title. Even though they brought in guys like Steve Kerr and whatnot and a few other older dudes. But For I sure. think all in all, we'll they got a little younger.
0: We'll have to check that one in the future as we <laughs> right. progress yeah, there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> Let's not rush this. You know. Um, yeah, funny to think of uh, Avery Johnson uh, doing so well, uh, in the uh, you know with Duncan Robinson there, but he absolutely uh, delivered very well in, uh, in in the series. So, yeah, I, I guess the only other the, the Suns, uh, not really top player, but most notable uh, performance was George McLeod shooting a uh, 21 from three in the series. So, uh, so
2: nice job <laughs> by George. George McLeod, you know? yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
0: so uh, next we have the. Uh, The Seattle Supersonics, the second seed, taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves, the seventh seed. And the, uh, uh, the Wolves gave the Sonics a little bit of a scare taking it to uh take it to five games and uh it's not like George Carl to uh, have a difficult time in the first round against a, a lesser opponent.
2: <laughs> no. Not at all. Yeah, he's never especially with his tenure in the Sonics where they would always I mean you could always rely if, especially if they were like the number one seed or whatever, you knew that yeah. they're they're not gonna lose to an eight seed. I mean, they're like, never George gonna perform in
0: the first round, no. Yeah, exactly.
2: That team yeah. George Carl is nothing if not a master motivator that just Gets his players and gets the most out of them at every given time. But, uh, yeah, this is a pretty uh, pretty interesting game here, or a pretty interesting series, I should say. Noteworthy game, game five. I mean, the Wolves give it their all. Uh, this is their franchise's second-ever playoff series, and they were looking for their first, you know, of course, playoff series victory of all time as a franchise. Unfortunately, Kevin Garnett becomes kind of public enemy number one here because he struggles in the field. He has only seven points on 3-11 shooting, and, and, you know, they lose 97-84. They try their best, but, yeah, it's like without Garnett being the, the real leader there it's hard to do a whole lot but uh yeah the top performer for the entire series Gary Payton was really good in this series he had 26 points per game on uh, a little over 60 percent true shooting percentage but uh yeah they just squeaked by here uh but you know hey I'm I'm thinking things are good for the Sonics this is probably the the lone bump in the road for them I think things are gonna go good I mean they just won like what 63 games this year or whatever I mean they're good to go
0: yeah they'll be fine no problem at all so and, uh, last but not least in the first round is, uh, the, uh, the Utah Jazz of the top seed, uh, taking on the Houston Rockets, the eighth seed, of course. And, uh, yeah, this one was a little tight. It went, uh, it went five games as well. Uh, the, the old man Houston team, Charles Barkley, uh, Kim Olajuwon, and, uh. And Clyde Drexler, the retiring Clyde Drexler, uh, give it one last uh, go, but uh, they, they fall short to the, uh, I, well, I guess, again, the Jazz are a pretty old man team, too, with, with the Malone and uh, Stockton, and most of their role players are, uh, you know, in their 30s, well, X 34, so, um, so yeah, they weren't exactly young, uh, you know, spring chickens either, but, uh, of course, uh, Malone and Stockton were ageless and were able to, uh, you know, pull out, pull out the series, you know, with a, uh, uh, you know, with, with, a, with a forceful win in Game 5.
2: Yeah, uh, noteworthy. I mean, there's not a ton of noteworthy games that stand out here. Game three, just because it was a little close, uh, the Rockets win 89-85, to 85, so it uh, looks like they actually have some control of the series, but then the Jazz win, of course, the next two uh, to take it. Uh, game five, of course, I think would be maybe the most noteworthy, just because it is Clyde Drexler's final NBA game, and unfortunately, the Jazz, they win 84-70, so he doesn't go out with a, a very good uh, <laughs> game there. doesn't go out with a bang. Um, what's interesting? Uh, not a top performer, but maybe a uh, guy that you would hope would be a little bit better, but didn't really quite come to, uh, to fruition. Charles Barkley. He only averaged uh, nine points and five point three rebounds per game in the entire series. So did not uh, did not really do well for the Rockets. And yeah, things uh, I don't know things aren't looking great for the Rockets here.
0: Yeah, I, I would probably give a top performer to Malone. Uh, you know, twenty six point six points, twelve point six rebounds on. Um you know uh 46% shooting so you know pretty strong series mm-hmm. for for him Elijah uh, had had some uh, some strong numbers uh 20.4 points 10.8 uh, rebounds and 3.2 blocks but only shot uh, 39% from the from the field so not uh, obviously strong I I don't know who's providing the rim protection there in uh in Uh, Utah with uh, I don't know is Ostertag like a really stout uh, (laughs) on defender I'm not really sure who's they just put uh, a cardboard
2: cutout of Mark Eaton there and that's been helping that's been (laughs) doing pretty well so it's been it's been right. they just (laughs) gotta move out of the key every so often he doesn't get three in the key but otherwise it's been working pretty well so yes so yeah, the rockets uh, aren't very fast, so you can get by with a cardboard cutout guy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the rockets are, aren't really running up and down the court that all that much. Yeah. So. no,
0: not so much. So yeah, so Barkley, yeah, he got got a rough series because, he, as you mentioned, the, the struggles <laughs> there. He also, uh, you know, had a right torn torn right triceps muscle that kept him out of the uh, the final game, and he was out for three to five months. Although I guess that didn't matter. Uh, spoiler alert with the uh, lockout coming. Um, and then uh, he also was fined ten thousand dollars for using profane language and making obscene gestures at a fan during the during one of the games. So, uh, so I guess it's just Charles being Charles.
2: Yeah, of course, yeah. Yes,
0: uh, yes. So, looking at some of the awards, those we'll are the lesser awards here. Then we'll get back to the playoffs and then do the bigger awards. Um, Sixth Man of the Year was won by Danny Manning of the Suns, who earned 57 votes out of 116. Uh, Kobe Bryant had uh, 31. Dale Ellis had 21. And uh, Manning averaged thirteen point five points and five point six rebounds. And uh, there are a lot of threads uh, out there about how uh, Kobe was robbed of the sixth man lord. I just hope that we all realize that we have better uses of our time than trying to demonstrate. <laughs> even if right. it's true, even even if it's true, and it's I, I would say the evidence is uh, you know uh, specious at best. But I would uh, I would say that hopefully you know we, we don't need to really do this.
2: No, I mean, and I think Del Harris summed it up pretty well. He had a uh, quote, in it's an LA Times piece about the Six Man of the Year award. And he says, uh, "That's too bad about you know Kobe not winning." He says, "Danny was certainly a worthy candidate. Kobe's going to have a lot of time in the future to win a lot of awards, and I think he will." So, you know, like, yes. that pretty much sums it up. Like, ah, eh, don't worry about this. Like, yeah. <laughs> Kobe's legacy would define itself. And I don't think the sixth man of the year was really the one that was going to change anything all that much. And, and this is, a, a, as well for Danny Manning, who had battled a ton of injuries an and up and down career or whatever. I think this was a little bit more, of a, to an extent, kind of a lifetime achievement award for him as well. So I think, whatever. I mean, Danny Manning was good and Kobe was fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, he okay. was so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like Danny Manning was a bad, I mean, he definitely deserved it. And, 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 and Kobe would have been a worthy guy as well. But yeah, it's not like Danny Manning was just a terrible, terrible pick.
0: Right, and Harris points out that like you know, Kobe was a little bit more in the spotlight, and he had like that stretch of like you know like ten to twelve games after the uh, All Star break where he really struggled shooting the ball, and that you know was magnified more than anything that Manning was was doing at the same time, and and uh, so that that kind of uh, that obviously probably weighed in voters' minds there. But um <clears throat> yes, unfortunately for Manning, uh he ended up the next day after he won the award, he ended. Up he had a surgery to uh, reconstruct his left knee due to a torn ACL and repair a torn MCL. So it was the third knee surgery of his career. And you might think this would have, like, marked the end of his career or pretty much close to the end of his career. But he actually played all 50 games in the uh, next season and stretched his career to, to uh, 2003. So mm-hmm. go Danny Manning. He played I remember, longer than I would have thought.
2: Yeah, I remember him playing on, like, the Mavericks and stuff. Yeah, I remember him. But it lasted uh, quite a while. So good for, yeah, good for Danny Manning. Yeah,
0: for good, sure. good for Danny. Yeah, so... Uh, rookie of the year, uh, Tim Duncan. Not really. <laughs> this a, is uh, a hard one. Yeah, this is tough. Yes, he
2: uh, he managed. I want to get. A hundred- I want to meet these. Th- there's there's. Okay, you'll get right. to it in a sec, but I want to meet these people, and they need to show themselves. So
0: yes, right. Uh, 113. He, he he got 113 of the 116 first place votes, <laughs> and Keith Van Horn got the other three. Which, okay,
2: uh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> so his mom. <laughs> like, who was voting for this? Was it like were parents allowed? Because like, there's how do you? I mean. Maybe I don't. I'm not even looking at Van Horn's numbers. I don't care. Tim Duncan, come on! Are you kidding? <laughs> right.
0: Like no, no. There, there's no. It, it's yeah. Th- we don't. We have no idea who actually voted on these. <laughs> these were not public. So, uh, but they they would obviously get roasted if that were the uh, case. Now you know beyond. Uh, beyond belief but uh yes Duncan he was also named to the uh all-nba first team was the first rookie to do so since Larry Bird and he uh, joined a Ralph Sampson and David Robinson as the only players to win rookie of the month uh each month in the season which was the first the award has existed since the 82 season so um yes the all-rookie team was uh Duncan and Van Horn both unanimous choices uh Brevin Knight uh so Jr. Igaskis and Ron Mercer also uh, made the,
2: uh, the the first team. So, uh,
0: two t- Two Cavaliers not. were on the uh, second team uh, also because Knight and Igaskis were Cavaliers. Also, Cedric Henderson and Derek Anderson also making making second team. So the uh, cast had four rookies on uh,
2: on that yeah, team. Yeah, this this rookie team is terrible. <laughs> like-
0: yes. Like well, usually, I don't know, I mean, you got Z, uh, you know, uh, Z and Duncan were good.
2: Yeah, I see you have Tim Duncan, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah you know. well, I mean,
0: I'm, yeah, okay, <laughs> Z, obviously Tim Duncan is more than just good. And and Augustus was, you know, and, and Van Horn was good. I mean, Van Horn was, his, was his solid at the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're,
2: we're joking about Keith Van Horn, but he was actually a pretty right. solid player. Yeah, yeah,
0: time, he, he just, you yeah, know, he was a good player for when he played, but he just retired early, you
2: know. For sure, yeah, right, right. Yeah. And uh, just, I have a tough time believing Bobby Jackson was ever young, like, I feel like he was always, right. like, 31. <laughs> like, even on those um, Kings teams, even though it was, like, 2000, even though he was, like, 26, I just thought... He was always like thirty-two. He just kind of played like he was thirty-two all the time.
0: Yeah, well, yes, he, he was indeed. So, uh, next uh, most improved, uh, Alan Henderson of the Hawks uh, got thirty-three out of one hundred sixteen votes. Um, Corliss Williamson of the Kings had twenty-five, and Daniel Marshall of the uh, Warriors had uh, twenty-four. So, uh, Henderson almost basically doubled his uh, point average and uh, increased his rebounds from uh, six. It, w- it was uh, from 2.1 more rebounds that came through the math
2: right now, but up to 6.4 rebounds. So, whatever at 2.1 minus. Right, we're not, we're not a math show. We're not a math yeah. Uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah we're, we're <laughs> No. Go to
0: Dunk Down or something if you want
2: math. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Make yeah. right. yeah, Daniel LaRue do it. We're not doing it. But uh, right, no, yeah, right. this is an interesting one for uh, for Henderson here because he had had kind of a weird career. So, he, he was selected the 16th pick of the 95 draft, but he didn't play a huge role in the Hawks immediately because the team was pretty good uh, when he came in and, and he came off the bench and, and they had a crowded front court as well. So, we averaged only about 6 per uh, six points per game his first two seasons uh, as rookie year, he who was behind Andrew Lane, Grant Law, and Christian Leitner, and a bunch of others. Uh, and the Hawks were pretty good; they won you know forty six games that year. Uh, his sophomore year, the Hawks jumped up to fifty six wins, but uh, Leitner had to move over to Power Ford uh, to accommodate to Mutombo Matumbo. So Henderson then was behind Leitner uh, in terms of getting minutes, and then also a weird illness kept him off the court, which is going to be ironic here in a little bit. But uh, yeah, after a promising rookie year, and this is a quote from my uh, Los Angeles Times piece: after a promising rookie year and an outstanding training camp in nineteen ninety six, Henderson contracted a mysterious illness that eventually was diagnosed as acute viral pancreatitis. He was so weak for a time that he couldn't eat or get out of bed. He lost 25 pounds before doctors diagnosed his condition, and that got him off the court for 51 games. So that's his sophomore season, so not much doing there. Then his third year, uh, Henderson starts the season pretty much in the same place that he was. Uh, You know, the Hawks are still good. They brought back most of their team from the prior year. And then, you know, in in a weird kind of uh, (laughs) Wally-Pip moment here, uh, Christian Leitner got the flu. And then uh, after that, um, Henderson grabbed the job and really never let it go. He was chosen, of course, as the NBA's most improved player. Uh, This is from the LA Times piece, and this is a quote from uh, Henderson. He says, I was playing behind an all-star forward. I knew I would get a chance, but I didn't know when it would be or ever if it would be here. Uh, So Leitner came down with the flu on the uh, February 10th game against Milwaukee. Henderson then stepped into the lineup, played 43 minutes. He scored 19 points and grabbed 15 rebounds, and then he really never looked back. They kind of rode the hot hand for almost the entire season. Leitner still, of course, got some of his minutes back, but they started integrating Henderson a little bit more from there. Uh, And this is the last quote from him. He said, but it's a funny thing. If Leitner had not gotten the flu, I'd st- probably still be running around saying I can play. Give me a chance. So ir- ironic. There is that an illness takes him away from his sophomore campaign, but uh, an illness to uh, Christian Leitner gets him back in the uh, in the running there and gets the most improved player. So go Alan Henderson. Yeah,
0: yeah go Alan Henderson. Yeah, that's nice little uh, some nice detail about Al- Alan Henderson. You're not going to get that from any other podcast. Oh no.
2: yeah, we are no. the if not <laughs> your foremost yeah. authority on Alan Henderson. Fun fact. Right. So there you go. Yeah, well, so. Which is which is good. Yeah. So I, the, really
0: the only thing I remember about Alan Henderson was that he had like like of the those really terrible early 2000s contracts that was like seven years long and was you know not much money compared to like today but was like like 20 percent of the cap or whatever and like you know crippled dogs for a while you know he it was like one of those kind of things where he could barely play and he had these you know terrible this terrible contract so good times Next, we have DeKemy Matembo, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, and this was his uh, th- third time he was awarded the uh, awarded the award, uh, which uh, made him the first three time winner and. Um he had 39 out of a possible 116 votes. Gary Payton had 37, so he came very close to winning. David Robinson, of all people, had 10 votes, was in third place. Not that David Robinson was a good defender, but he just sort of uh, was a surprise to me slightly here. Of course, he was the distant third here. Uh, and uh, the uh, the award, only four other players had won twice. Sidney Moncrief, Mark Eaton, Dennis Rodman, and Akeem Olajuwon. Um, it, it is noteworthy, and of course, individual defense is hard to measure. And uh, I, of course, I believe that DeKeymeier Matembo was a great defensive player. But the Hawks were only 13th in the league in defensive rating that year, so that's sort of an interesting uh, data point there to wonder if uh, maybe Matembo definitely deserved the award. But you know, obviously, we're not taking away from him. So just a, oh, for sure, interesting no, to note, yeah,
2: definitely a good defender, and yeah, it's still to this day pretty tough to, to measure defense. I think we're doing a much better job of, of, of looking at that. But a lot of times in history and, and and even to almost recent history, a defensive player of the year meant like guy who gets a lot of blocks or guy who gets a lot of steals. And and that's not to say the guy who gets a lot of blocks isn't a good defender, like in many times they are. You know, a guy like a Ben Wallace was a tremendous defender, but sometimes people, you know, one way or another will just kind of default to a guy who gets a lot of turnovers, you know, generated or whatnot as, as always being uh, a great defender. I think we've gotten better about it, but it's still, it's tough. It's it's hard award to really, you really got to study your film and your tape and whatnot. And sometimes these awards, people just kind of fill stuff out. <laughs> and it's just, you know, not to yeah, say that people sure. don't do their, their due diligence, but but uh, not everybody does their due diligence before they... Sure. But nothing to take away from game I'm sure he was great this year.
0: No, not at all. Uh, yes. But uh, I, I find that one interesting. So, uh, all-defensive team. Uh, Michael Jordan becomes the first player in history to uh, reach the all-defensive first team nine times, which is uh, obviously pretty incredible. But Michael Jordan, pretty good. You know, we wanted willing to say that, I think. I think so. Um... He had the most votes out of uh, any uh, player on this team, even more than Matumbo, who was the defensive player of the year. Uh, the first team was Michael Jordan, Gary Payton, Scotty Pippen, and Matumbo, as I mentioned, and Carl Malone, who was uh, on the first team but had quite a few uh, fewer first place votes, he, or, or just uh, votes in general. Uh, Pippen had 44, then Malone was all the way down to 24. He had the least amount on the first team. Uh, the second team was uh, Mookie Blaylock with 23 votes. Almost almost came there to the first team. I guess the position's their help. Uh, Eddie Jones, Tim Duncan, Charles Oakley, and David Robinson. So uh, and the one or the thing to be is—is is Carl Malone surprised you? Because uh, I never really thought of him as a particularly strong defender. Certainly not a bad defender in any, any means, but I always kind of thought of him more as primarily offensive player and just defense like he was okay, but nothing special. But he did make uh, four all defensive teams in his career, including three times in the first team, uh, but from '97 to '99. So I don't know, um, Rich. What do you what do you think of? Uh, yeah, did this surprise you.
2: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I guess I never thought of him as, as, like you said, as that great of a defender. Even though he, he probably was, or at least you know it felt like it was. But yeah, I know he didn't. Uh, he just didn't really jump off the page to me as, as a guy that would definitely be, uh, you know, an incredible defender. At least, especially in this age, as, as he's getting a little bit older and starting to kind of slow down a little bit and understand his limitations. Because I think earlier in his career, when he was super athletic, uh, you could see it a little bit more. But yeah, I was kind of surprised uh, to see him on this list, and it was weird that he just got in by like you know just a smidge. Like it was not a whole lot to get him in there. But uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting to see him on there.
0: Yeah, I, I, I looked at uh, Ben Taylor's uh, piece on Backpicks. He recently did the, uh, you know, 40 uh, Greatest uh, Players of All Time series. And it just it's incredible, you know, uh, scouting, video study, historical context, advanced stats, all that stuff blended really well. And it's really awesome. Everyone should check it out if you haven't. Yeah. But uh, I... I Reread the Carl Malone one just to kind of see what he said about his defense and it, it was more of like he was like a solid positional defender but could sometimes make mistakes and wasn't like was was okay to good but not necessarily you know super at least you know looking at the uh, video study so anyway that, there's a, a pretty good authority on that as well but uh, nevertheless uh, a few more a couple more awards before we uh, get to more playoffs uh, Wayne Embry was executive of the year he got uh, 17 of the 29 votes um, and I mean the the Cavs only improved just from forty two wins to forty seven, but they really um, they basically revamped the team as you mentioned. They had four rookies, you know, playing significant mm-hmm. time, and they acquired uh, Sean Kemp. Uh, you know, was you know among their draftees. Obviously, uh, he was very good this season and would continue to be an excellent player for them for you know, another decade or so. So, so obviously, uh, good job with, for Wayne.
2: Yeah, you get four guys on the uh, all rookie team, and you acquire uh, an all star in Sean Kemp, and you improve in wins. That's yeah, that'll get you there for sure. Yeah, so go him. And then, uh, and the final one for now, a coach of the year won by Larry Bird, who uh,
0: received 50 votes. Uh, Jerry Sloan was second with 29. Mark Fitello had 15. Uh, this, of course, was Bird's first year coaching in the NBA, and he managed to win the Rookie of the Year as a player and Coach of the Year as a rookie. So, um, and then yeah, I guess he, which was sort of an odd thing to notice in this uh, report about it, is that he joins uh, Tom Heinsohn as the only Rookie of the Year and Coach of the Year winners, which I, I believe is still true. I cannot think of any
2: coach, uh, future yeah, coach. Who else would be? Year. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What, of who well, else? Jason
0: Kidd, but he didn't win Coach of
2: the Year. I don't no. know. No. <laughs> yeah, because he's a bad coach. Right, right. <laughs> right. So they got him. <laughs> Good player, not a great coach. But uh, that's I'm trying to think of anybody else that was. Yeah, we don't really the, the the days of like the awesome former player that turns coaches is, is, I don't know. It seems like those have kind of gone away a little bit to an extent. I mean, you don't really necessarily get those guys. You still get, you get your, obviously your Tyron Lue types guys, you know, your sort of, you know, second tiered guys, you know, your old Watson's or whatever that, that became coaches. But yeah, I don't feel like, I don't know if it feels different. I don't know if it's like, I haven't done any study on it, but it does feel like those, because there was a while there were like top, top tier guys would end up becoming coaches, but it seems like that sort of died out a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, there are no, uh, uh, there has not been any winners since then, so uh, so, so we're good now. There we you go. Good. Uh, yes. So,
2: all uh, right. Moving on to maybe meetings. when Allen Iverson. Uh, do we count Big Three coaching <laughs> coach of the year awards or no? Uh, I'm
0: sure, I was going to get that call, every so often. You know, so. right? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to look into that. One more shot. Yeah.
1: One more pass. Yeah. One more block. Yeah chance to risk it all because in the playoffs you win one more time or you go home the nba playoffs on
2: tnt and tbs 40 games 30 nights everyone counts
0: so next we move on to the second round and we have the um we have the Hornets uh, taking on the Bulls. And uh, the, the Bulls uh, handled this pretty uh, reasonably handily, although it w- w- was a little bit uh, – there were a couple of herring moments, which we'll get to in a moment. But it's the Bulls win this series uh, uh, four games to one.
2: Yeah, noteworthy worthy game I would say here is uh, game two at the United Center because the uh, the Hornets come here and they steal it with a twenty nine point fourth quarter. A pretty low scoring game. The uh, final score is seventy eight to seventy six. So not really a barn burner here, but uh, yeah, twenty nine point fourth quarter uh, for the Hornets. Anthony uh, Mason and Del Curry in that game uh, tied for a team high fifteen points. So they were really the guys that led the charge there. But uh, ultimately, of course, the Bulls win. And uh, the top player is going to be you know it's going to be Michael Jordan again because he's pretty good. He had twenty nine point six points per game. But I'll give a little bit of credit on the Charlotte side as well. Glenn Rice had a really good series 22.6 points per game uh 5.4 rebounds per game and uh 51.6 true shooting percentage so glenn rice doing all he can to get the hornets into the next round but ultimately the bulls move on so next
0: we have the knicks and the pacers and uh the uh the Pacers win four games to one. Uh, Patrick Ewing makes his return uh, yeah, during see, uh, this. The Ewing, this yeah, there but, you go. See, yeah, he was gone. Go. They win.
2: He comes back. They lose. I mean, yeah, that's all and, the evidence I need.
0: He <laughs> uh, he missed most of the season, of course, with the injury, but did uh, come back into uh, did come back to the series. Uh, not, uh, not 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 as best. Uh, not not not, oh didn't actually didn't didn't play all that terribly but uh but didn't necessarily play great here of course you know whether the defense was there at uh after after dealing with the injury and all that good stuff uh uh who knows but but yes uh so yes so so what uh what happened rich
2: yeah not not a ton in this series kind of a boring one here uh probably the most the game that most sticks out game two uh, because Patrick Ewing makes his return he comes back I uh, does not play well and he scores only 10 points on three of 11 shooting uh, and unfortunately his matchup Rick Smith scores 22 so there are more evidence of this Ewing theory of course but no I mean all jokes aside uh, Reggie Miller played really well this series uh, 24.6 points per game but again let's give it up uh, Smith's uh, he finished the series with 16.8 points per game and 5.8 rebounds per game I know he's kind of always in, in some ways unfairly considered just kind of like I don't know he's kind of laughed at it sometimes I don't know because it's like and, and he was a good player but people sort of look at him like oh yeah rick Smith. I, I don't know i always feel like there's jokes about rick Smith. maybe that's my friend maybe my friends are just assholes but rick smiths uh great player in this series a great player for indiana at this time a real deep indiana team as well uh who we'll move on uh to the eastern conference finals yeah
0: so let's we'll see how they do there uh the uh next we have the lakers and the uh, sonics the lakers winning uh four games to one you're gonna set the theme in this round um and um and yes, the the Sonics were able to uh, take Game 1, but then it was uh, Lakers all the way. Pretty dominating fashion, honestly. Uh, game 2 was, was just a blow at 92-68, and the rest were double-digit victories. So uh, not the best showing from the uh, Sonics there.
2: Yeah, and this is uh, this brings in a question like the last great Sonics team. We'll again look at the crystal ball here, but they had won 61 games this year uh, but could not get back to the NBA Finals as they did in 1996. Uh, they'd missed the playoffs the following season and would have to wait until uh, uh, 2004-2005 to get uh, this far into the playoffs again. So uh, this kind of led, unfortunately, to a downtime in the Sonics, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. A noteworthy game, uh, Game 2, uh, Seattle wins Game 1 at home, then gets destroyed by the Lakers in Game 2, uh, that 92-68 game, as you mentioned, uh, and then they wouldn't win again in the series. So they get that first win, and they have Things are looking good. And then it just all comes crashing down. Uh, and then they get you know, sweep out the rest of the series. Uh, top performer Shaq was an absolute beast in the series. 30.6 points per game, 9.6 rebounds per game. And he shot 63% from the field. So, yeah, not much stopping Shaq. But the real story is what happens after the series, the old Supersonics, and our good friend, Furious George.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, George, uh, he, he was fired on May 26th, day after my uh, 20th birthday, uh, uh, 1998. So, or I'm sure you birthday.
2: celebrated it at, uh, I'm sure that was a big talking point on your birthday, I'm sure, right?
0: It definitely was, yeah.
2: We had a drink for old George. So, uh,
0: um, so uh, Wally Walker. A drink? Bisonics. sir.
2: you were 20, sir. You were not old yeah. enough to be drinking yet, yeah. so I hope it was I, a actually orange I crush. Actually,
0: I was... I'm bad at math tonight, so I was actually 19, not 20, but still too young to drink. So, yes, um
2: Orange Crush in favor
0: was, I was drinking Surge at the time, which is a very popular so.
2: <laughs> Of course, yes, Surge. Yes. Surge rocks. Surge is the best. Yes. Tony Schiavone Tony uh, uh, likes Surge, so I so like Surge. So
0: Wally Walker, the Sonics president, said, Our decision is based entirely on what we believe is in the team's best interest of going forward. It's not about money. It's not personal, but... Uh, it probably was personal. Um, was a CBS <laughs> News report that says the, the, the team's owner and Walker were unhappy with Carl because they viewed him as a loose cannon who leaked information no. to the media. <laughs> George <laughs> Carl? No, get out of here. Yes. And there's a quote from uh, Wally. Uh, I don't think George is about to change. I don't want to be in a position where I can't trust him to keep secret information that's very sensitive and can't get at. And apparently he deliberately did not tell Carl about the uh, the trade that uh, brought Vin Baker to Seattle and sent Sean Kemp to, to Cleveland, so not necessarily <laughs> ideal. And then um, and we're jumping ahead a little bit, that's okay. Uh, in June 17th, the Seattle named uh, Paul Westfall as their uh, new head coach. So so former, uh, I guess he played for the Sonics very briefly, and former uh, Suns coach as oh, well. Right, right, so yeah. Paul Westfall c- c- coming back. So
2: coming back. Things go. are going to go great. <laughs> Everything's looking He's up gonna <laughs> yeah,
0: <right>. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh and then uh our final uh, series of the uh, of the second round, the uh Utah Jazz uh, taking on the San Antonio Spurs and Let me guess. The, the Jazz It win. went to seven yes. games.
2: It went to seven games.
0: <laughs> what seven games? Yeah. Not quite. Uh, oh. four games to one. Not- All, uh, oh, what the hell? <laughs> every series in this round was four one. So not an exciting <laughs> second round in uh in general. Uh the Jazz won a very, very close game in game one, eighty three to eighty two. Um Otherwise, it was not a particularly, uh, you know, a close series for the, well, I, I actually, I think that back. game two was actually fairly close as well. The Jazz won narrowly, uh, 109 to 106, and I guess they broke the, uh, the Spurs spirit because outside of a, a, a game three win, they were unable to uh, handle the Jazz.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty interesting series. Uh, I think the most noteworthy one is the noteworthy game, rather, is Game One uh, because San Antonio rides a twenty-two point fourth quarter and they get within seconds of winning Game One, as you mentioned, narrow uh, game there. I don't know if the series could have turned, but looking how close a lot of the games were, there's a chance that maybe the Spurs do upset the Jazz here. Of course, you know they lose the first game by one, they lose you know the second game by only a handful of points, Uh, they win you know decisively in game three and then you know the rest of the games are you know they're like 10 point losses or you know nine point losses or whatnot so maybe it it couldn't change the things all that much but it'd be interesting to see what could have happened possibly if the spurs did win that first game but uh yeah it 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 kind of maybe gives us a little bit of a preview what was to come with the spurs i mean they're obviously they're a good team they're on the rise and they're gonna be here (laughs) very very quickly uh type performer carl malone he has 24.6 points per game 10 rebounds per game uh but hard not to call out uh rookie tim duncan of course we mentioned him a few times, but he the spurs with 21 points per game so uh yeah tim duncan emerging and uh yeah next season things should look pretty good for the old spurs certainly very likely yes so
0: now back to uh some more key awards the uh the all nba teams um and uh your first team is uh carl malone and michael jordan who were unanimous uh tim duncan uh, shaquille o'neal and uh and, and gary payton are your um are on your team. Uh, Tim Duncan by far had the least number of points for the first team. He, he had 370, and uh, and looking on the second team, David Robinson had 332. Uh, so it was very close to making a, a swap there if, if positions were not uh, a factor, which of course they are. Um, I've never really delved into the. the you, you always just kind of think of like, oh, this guy's first team, this guy's second team, but like the. You know, are you. Not, not all first team are equal. I mean, you know, Carl, Mal- the. Voting totals of Carl Malone and Tim Duncan on this were very different here, which yeah, obviously kind of kind of mean something, even though in the end they both had the same award. So
2: right, yeah, we kind of a, a lot of times just chalk it up, and, that, and we're, we do that pretty unfairly as well. I think we do a better job of of not you know counting rings as our, our you know one right. thing when we talk about players, but we do we are guilty of using like first teams and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And there's also like weird, interesting situations where you know like David Robinson was, like Shaquille O'Neal also played with David Robinson. So David Robinson had an incredible year, but you know obviously Shaq, who was so much better than him, would, was going to be the the top, you know, vote getter in the or or one of the top vote getters, and obviously the top center vote getters So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how those things kind of break down. And it's weird, is I, I don't see Keith Van Horn, I don't see uh, the no. uh, Keith Van Horn anywhere on that first team, but I see Tim Duncan, who uh, somehow okay wasn't the unanimous rookie of the year, but somehow made it to the first team of the uh, NBA. But you know, yeah, i
0: huh, weird, I don't know, it's hard, hard to say. Yeah. It's,
2: uh, I'm looking, I'm squinting, I'm looking at the second team and third team, it must have been in the air. I don't see Keith Van Horn anywhere, anywhere. yeah. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm sorry to Keith Van Horn. He's a very good player. I, I, yeah, I'm not besmirching Keith Van Horn. Let me just. I, it,
0: so. I I like his long socks. You know, yes. Cool. So <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I liked him on the cover yeah. of a the horrendous NBA Live game that was on N64. I think so. Yeah, there
0: you go. Uh, so second team: Grant Hill, uh, Vin Baker, uh, David Robinson, Tim Hardaway, and Rod Strickland. Um, and third team: Scotty Pippen, Glenn Rice, uh, Dekevin Matembo Mitch Richmond, and uh, Reggie Miller. Um, you know, I. I I don't have any major objections. You're a little surprised that Sean Kemp didn't make it, although I'm not, like, you know, clamoring that he absolutely should have made it. And I think that Reggie Miller probably deserved better than than 13. But outside of that, not really. I didn't really see anything that super noteworthy that uh, I objected to.
2: No, not much. I think Rod Strickland being a, a pretty interesting there, but Rod Strickland was great at this time, so that definitely makes sense there. But uh, yeah, pretty interesting. And then I, I think what's also cool too is Mitch Richmond, who uh, who started on the Kings and then got traded to the uh, the Bullets uh, during the season. Or, or I, they were the, I forget if they were the Wizards at this point. Uh, I should know this better.
0: They, they were the Wizards, but actually he didn't play for the Wizards. He didn't play there. He was traded... Um, I I believe he was traded before the award was announced, but it was after the season.
2: Got it. Okay. I get it. I get it. That's why he was listed there. Okay. I I, I don't remember him doing that, so that's why I thought it was interesting. Never mind. Regardless, Rod Shook can be on there pretty cool. Uh, But yeah, I would say Reggie Miller maybe moving up a little bit. And then uh, Scotty Pippen's a guy who I, I think. He probably deserves to be on there but if you really look at his year that he had it was a very up and down year as he had battled injuries almost uh the entire time but he was a guy that'd be hard to not put him on one of these lists uh yeah. for, for but but he's one that you maybe wonder if there was somebody else a little bit more deserving and that's not to take anything away from scotty but he's just he had a lot of injuries this year he missed a lot of time right. as well yeah i
0: mean he, he missed the first yeah you know, like yeah month and a half season, right, so, right, right right yeah so yeah that that stands out as well that's a good point. So, uh, before we get to the, the big award, uh, there is something called and had, the IBM Award. Had you ever heard of
2: this before, Rick? I had never until I saw this in the notes today, but then I spent about two hours looking it up. Uh, I think we we're going to have to do an entire show on this IBM Award at some point. But, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about it a little.
0: I, I agree, yeah. We, we delve a little bit into it here, but I, I think this warrants further conversation in the future. But So, yeah. Um, there's a statistical formula. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's math. Who wants to do that? But uh, Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's you know you you take uh, you take your positive stats, uh, add them together, and subtract them by your negative stats, and then divide them by your team's portion of the same stats. So the idea is like what percentage of your you know good stats minus your negative stats are you providing for your team? Is, is the basic summary. So and this was given out between 84 and 2002. It was originally called the Pivotal Player Award, and it was, was sponsored by Schick, but it became an IBM Award um, at some point, which it actually makes much more sense as an IBM Award. <laughs> yeah,
2: not, right. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Because <calculating laughs> it's like, it. like a you know right. and, and if you read uh, some of the articles from it it was like oh a complex computer formula brings this award together which is <laughs> right like, you know, i mean yeah. it's like basic you know <laughs> division and subtraction or whatever but <laughs> right. you know hey you know in the 1980s when you mentioned computers were doing something it was like ooh, uh, ooh computer computers. equation that's why yeah we definitely we're, have to talk exciting. about this more so just just if if only to read the stuff about it is, is pretty fascinating but yeah um i don't know why it wasn't the, always the ibm more. i don't know what shick had to do with this like complex formula but hey go go with them i guess hey well
0: go with them so the uh uh, the top 10 finishers are, uh, Karl Malone, uh, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Grant Hill, Kevin Mutembo, Dennis Rodman, Anthony Mason, Michael Jordan, <laughs> Gary Payton, and Rod Strickland. So Jordan eighth on this list. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, which is, he's a little shocking. Carl Malone with uh, 99 points. Michael Jordan only 85 points. So obviously, Carmelo should be the MVP. It's Yeah, I math. think. We, I don't know why we don't IBM always use the us IBM this. Awards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I mean,
2: w- one thing that I found it kind of interesting in doing a little bit of research uh, through this IBM Award, and again, we definitely need to do an entire show, is that, you know, and, and this formula is essentially like a pretty crude version of uh, PR. And if you look at the leaderboards, it is pretty pretty remarkable. Most of the PR guys, most of the guys that were topped in PR end up being tops in this IBM Award as well. So it stays yeah. pretty in line with, with, with that award. But, yeah, we'll have to definitely delve in a little bit more and see just how in line and how uh, – um, how, relation, how related those two uh, are and how related this, the IBM Award is to MVPs and other stuff because they are yeah. some weird winners for these IBM Awards sometimes. Yeah.
0: I, I I don't want to save this for the IBM Award discussion, but um, so yeah, the the winners we're not going to go through them because we'll do that later. But uh, and usually they're players that you would think of that you know could be winners of this award. But uh, 1992 Dennis Rodman winning the award uh, for his year with the Pistons. That one uh, that one stands out as a, as an oddity. i mean obviously we respect Dennis Rodman a lot for his great play, but uh, being on this list and, and winning the award that year is uh, is very interesting
2: yeah yeah definitely uh yeah and, and robin show, he shows up here too in the, in this award over michael jordan above michael right, jordan yeah. so obviously well, exactly. yes, uh, yes. <laughs> i tennis rodman much more valuable to the team yeah. than uh, i i, I, I guess jordan. the rebounds must must right, right, I, that, right. obviously yeah and, and jordan and, and I, at right. this time especially jordan is not an efficient shooter at all so i think right. the player points minus field goal attempts which is a big part is is definitely one and then yeah uh, Jor, uh rodman is is gathering a ton of rebounds and also never turning the ball over because he just never possesses the ball from uh, 10 seconds yeah. you know what i mean like he gets right. The rebound, and then he just gives it to somebody else, and then walks down the court, and you know does. does. Whereas Jordan's going to obviously have more turnovers and so. And that's you know one of the issues when you do an award like this. But a guy like Carl Malone who possessed the ball a ton, uh, it's pretty interesting to see there. It just obviously shows uh, how efficient he was at this point, and how efficient he'd be uh, for the next few years as well. Uh, kind of the late career renaissance of uh, of Carl uh, Malone.
0: Yes. And we get to the uh, the big one, the MVP award, and it is won by Michael Jordan, winning it for the fifth time, which uh, ties him for the second most with uh, Bill Russell. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has won it uh, six times, and uh, so, so second to him. And uh, yeah, Jordan won it uh, with um, 1,084 points. Malone was second with 842. Uh, other notable finishers: were Gary Payton with 431 and Shaquille O'Neal with 311. So I think Shaq would have done better had it not been for you know, missing like about a month or so with injuries. Right, right, right? Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah,
2: pretty remarkable that he's as far as high as he is, despite missing all that time. But yeah, it's uh, I have no issues with those uh, those winners. I think everything's pretty solid there.
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. And, yeah, uh, you know, we've talked about kind of this, this year, I think, before. But, you know, uh, I think Jordan Malone were both worthy. I think Jordan over Malone is it totally makes sense, even if Malone's stats probably were slightly stronger. But.
2: Saturday at 3 Eastern, Lakers-Jazz. Sunday at 2.30 Eastern, Pacers-Bulls. The NBA playoffs this weekend on NBC so yeah now
0: we'll delve uh, back into the uh playoffs and uh the exciting matchup of the uh you know we're really looking forward to this because the these are you yeah, know i think the two teams even though the sonics were a very good regular season team i think this is the two teams that we were kind of expecting to battle here in the uh, conference finals you know the established you know stockton and malone uh utah jazz and then of course these you know Awesome Los Angeles Lakers with you know Shaquille ha- having such a great season and you know four All Stars and it's going to be a barn burner of a series, right?
2: Yeah, not so much. Yeah, the Jazz win four zero, and that's The Jazz were like struggling all playoffs. The Lakers are, you know, looking pretty solid. They got Kobe, they got Shaq, they got Nick Van. No, it just doesn't doesn't work at all. Jazz win four zero. Not really any interesting games all that much either. I mean, some are pretty close. Game two is ninety to uh, ninety nine to ninety five. Uh, eventually, the game winning a uh, game four ninety six to ninety two. But really, not much. I mean, I think the most noteworthy game is game one because it just kind of starts the series out on the wrong note for the Lakers. Uh, the Jazz win 112-77. It's just like. You know, just a real bad one. And uh, Robert Ori is quoted after the game. This is a New York Times piece. Uh, it says, No heart, no brains, no courage. So, not happy. Tensions are pretty high. And, yeah, things would not go well for the Lakers the rest of the series. Uh, top performer is uh, probably Karl Malone here. He uh, arguably outplays Shaq. Uh, 30 points per game, 10.3 rebounds per game. But to give Shaq his due, he had 31.8 points per game and 9.3 rebounds per game. So... I uh, maybe he did not play him, but check still played well. But ultimately, the Lakers uh, do not get any g- wins. They don't win a single game in this series in the Western Conference uh, playoffs. Kind of a sleepers to get the Jazz to the finals. Kind of boring, even though because their last year, I mean, ninety-seven, they had a, a, an arduous trip to get to the finals. This they kind of coasted in there. That hardly seems fair.
0: Yeah, it hardly seems fair. We'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Maybe <laughs> uh, you know, maybe they give them the advantage. They'll be able to. Uh, they'll, they'll be able to. You know, get some rest. I you know, like maybe. this
2: bet. I like where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> I like no, your I, angle. Ex- exactly. Yeah, I, I didn't even take advantage
0: of that. Absolutely. So uh, yes, and the uh, the exciting uh, series in this um, in these in these playoffs the uh, the Pacers against the Bulls and the uh, the Pacers taking the Bulls to seven games in a a very uh, tight and competitive series with uh, lots of uh, close games. There were. Um, Three games decided by three or, or fewer points and others that several, most of those were uh, single. There's only one real blowout uh, was um, game five, the Bulls winning there. The rest of the games were extremely close. So, uh, But yeah, the uh, this is, again, the, the first time in a while that the Bulls have been challenged this uh, hard in a uh, playoff series.
2: Yeah, it's the first time actually since 1990 that the uh, the Bulls this current era, iteration of the Bulls this dynasty I uh, was pushed to an elimination game in the conference finals. So yeah, you got to oh uh, it's a 1990 to find this. Otherwise they had pretty well, you know, controlled the Eastern Conference, but they got close here. Uh most noteworthy game I'd say uh, there there are plenty in this, but I think game 4 definitely stands out. Uh, this is the famous Reggie Miller game winner after a uh, I don't know a slight push on Jordan, a little, you know, a little bit of a push off on Jordan, but hey, you know, Jordan would would, you know, not be one against doing push-offs as well. Maybe find out soon. But uh, this allowed uh, Indiana to avoid a 3-1 deficit. 3-1 definitely serious turns around here, but they get it to 2-2 with that game winner. And it really turned the series around as well. Um, of course, ultimately, the Pacers do not win, but uh, yeah, they definitely uh, put up a great fight here. Uh, top performer, this is boring again, but it's Michael Jordan. He had 31.7 points per game and 5.7 rebounds per game, so yada, 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 normal. Michael Jordan, you know, scoring 30 a game, yada, yada, But But uh, no Pacer, I thought this was interesting. Averaged more than 20 points, Reggie Miller being tops of the team at 17.4. But this is a really deep team, though. You had Jalen Rose emerging. You had, obviously, Reggie Miller. Uh, just a bunch of guys on this team that could could all kind of contribute in a number of different ways, so it's, it's a fun team. It's actually one of my favorite uh, teams of, of this era because there was like you know five or six or seven deep really uh, of guys on this team but yeah ultimately the uh the jordan pippen and rodman are just a little too much for them to handle
0: yeah yeah i i would not have guessed the third leading scorer for the pacers in uh this series even though he's kind of like mr pacer you know uh, outside of reggie miller of course oh can, can you guess who it is
2: oh man mr pacer i
0: don't know that. yeah well kind of this era anyway
2: so uh why am i not thinking of it yeah why am I blanking on it? It's Dale Davis. Head. Dale Day, of course, Dale Davis, yeah. I yeah. forgot about the old Dale, yeah. That's all right. I love this team. This team is awesome. There's a lot of fun guys on this team too. It's just like really yeah. deep. You got like, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's, it's a fun team. Yeah, I like this one a lot. Yeah. Chris Chris Mullen, Derek Key. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, Mullen, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, but he he didn't play a lot in the series. maybe after yeah, like 20 point 20 minutes a game, I guess. But I would have I kind of would have expected a slightly bigger role for him at mm-hmm. this point. But obviously he's near the end of his career, but Nevertheless, so yeah, so yeah, pretty exciting game seven. The uh, you know the Bulls are winning eighty six to um, eighty three, and that and that one uh, Jordan with twenty eight points, although he was only nine twenty five uh, shooting, but uh, but nine rebounds, eight assists. Uh, you know, big game, and the yeah the Bulls are able to uh, take the series and go to the uh, finals against the uh, very rested Jazz. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Yeah, some other uh, fun stuff about this um, game seven. Michael Jordan he became the all time leader in uh, playoff points. Uh, He surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's mark uh, in Game 7. And also, uh, NBA fined Jalen Rose and suspended him for Game 1 after he left the bench while Reggie Miller and Ron Harper scuffled uh, in in that Game 1. The NBA also fined Ron Harper uh, and uh, Reggie Miller as well. So... A little bit of a little bit of issues there but uh yeah for the most part it's a really fun series um really historic series as well a lot of fun stuff going in there a lot of big names in here in terms of you know your your Kerrs, your pippins your Ku coaches your reggie millers your mark jacksons your smith i mean it's it's classic late yeah. 90s basketball right there yeah. your bill of course your bill Wennington's. yeah your uh, dickie
0: simpkins yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course yeah. your your Fred hoibergs you know. yeah oh yeah, Fro- yeah yeah, the
2: mayors on that team like a lot of just yeah very a lot of your classic classic yeah. late 90s guys all uh, all yeah absolutely. mucking it up in the old eastern conference and game seven being 86 to 83 but still being a fun game but nobody back when the eastern conference could be respected
0: (laughs) right yes yes uh all right so before we get to the actual finals we're going to get some uh get a little bit of news and uh and talk a little about the nba draft so uh uh the uh the Nuggets, uh, not surprisingly, after being uh, 11 and 71, they fired a coach, uh, Bill Henslick. Decided, eh, not so much uh, with uh, that, which is uh, seems reasonable to me. Uh, and also on a bit of a sad note, um, of course, why well, anyway? He fired a sad note, but uh, the Clippers um, fired uh, Bill Fitch after his fourth season with the team. They were 17 and 65. Uh, he was, at the time, the only coach to have coached in more than 2,000 games, and um, his uh, four years with the, with the Clippers were uh, tied the uh, longest tenure of the uh, franchise. J- Jack Ramsey coached the uh, Braves from 73 to 76. So, Oh, God. Yes. Yeah, well,
2: that's, it's weird that nobody wants to hang around or nobody can hang around the Clippers. That's uh, Rich, so interesting. C- can you
0: name the four <laughs> oh, of no. the franchises that Bill Fitch coached?
2: Oh, I should know this. Okay. Oh, I feel really bad that I don't know this. All right, Bill Fitch. Oh my God, I should know. Was it Denver? I don't, it wasn't Denver, right? It was not Denver. No, fuck. So I? I'm already out. I'm out.
0: Okay. So he he coached the uh, he coached the Cavs first
2: for like basically the entire seventies, yeah, yeah.
0: and then he coached the uh, the Celtics for uh, their their first title. I, see, I forget that Celtics. Era. I was
2: never going to get that yeah. one. That that one. Okay. Cleveland, I would I would never have gotten the Boston one. I forget that he did that. Won a title and, there and too, it, right?
0: He went title there, and yeah. then he coached the uh, the Rockets to their finals appearance in '86, and then he and then in the early '90s he could be Trek Daily. He coached the Nets.
2: Okay, so. I would never have gotten the Nets one. I do. I would have gotten the Rockets one eventually because I do remember. Um, I, I just did that article a few weeks ago, uh, and there's him like yucking it up with Keem <laughs> or whatever. It's pretty, it's right. pretty funny. Yeah, he's wearing, of course, Bill Fitch, as as Bill Fitch would, you know, a, a very customary Bill Fitch suit uh, in that picture as well. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I would have never gotten the Nets. I do not remember the Nets Bill Fitch era whatsoever, yes, but I don't re- right, remember the Clippers right? Bill Fitch era either, to be fair. So. Yes,
0: uh, well, yeah. It, was, it wasn't his best era, honestly, <laughs> So, And he finished with, this was his final coaching stop, he finished with a coaching record of 944 and 1106. So... Which I'm pretty sure is still the most coaching losses in uh, NBA history, and one of the most coaching wins in NBA history as well. Although he's he's now he's I think he's still in the top ten, but he's further down this list mm-hmm. than he was at the time. Not in the Hall of Fame, despite in with the record. You might think, well, okay, maybe maybe not so much to the Hall of Fame, but he was a great coaching innovator, and you know, and obviously. Um, coach some elite teams, and you know, almost certainly deserved it, despite the um, <clears throat> despite the record. Oh, especially for a lot of people who are in the Hall of Fame, particularly coaches, of course.
2: For sure, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, there's there's not really a high bar for for, for coaches. so Yeah, Bill Fitch should definitely uh, probably be in yeah. there, but I, I,
0: I would say so. Um, so, uh, with Charles Spiro, our friend, uh, was in the news, uh, filing a, uh, $30 million civil lawsuit against the NBA for lost wages and damages. We don't need to go through the whole, uh, rigmarole again, of course, about, about what happened. I think, uh, everyone here pretty much has, uh, has heard us talk about that extensively. So, but, so we'll just, uh, make note of that. Uh, and also, uh, we have a trade, uh, a big one. We alluded to it earlier, the, uh, the Wizards traded Chris Webber to Sacramento for Mitch Richmond and Otis Thorpe. So, uh, big deal there, you know, uh, um, Webber going to his, uh, third franchise in his career, he's still, you know, fairly young player, but he got into, he, he had some, uh, he had some legal issues in, uh, in in Washington, so I'm sure that was part of the incentive to uh, get him out of there, and Mitch Richmond had basically wa- been demanding a trade for the entire season and uh, finally got one when the season was over.
2: it's <laughs> <laughs> right. but uh, yeah, the, the Weber one is a really interesting thing here. Of course, yeah, the Mitch Richmond thing is, is funny because we've been following that as, as kind of the season went on, but yeah, Chris Weber uh, ran into a few issues there. He had uh, you know, been popped for, for uh, marijuana possession. There was some ongoing investigations of some altercation that happened with him and Jawan Howard and, and a woman at one of the parties or something like that. So there was a lot of stuff kind of building up for Chris Webber and uh, yeah, he was kind of sent to Sacramento. I know he wasn't happy. I know it was a uh, definitely not a great you know environment for Chris Webber going to, to Sacramento and nobody really wants to go to Sacramento but uh, things work out pretty well. But I think this is kind of interesting here. Wes Unseld, uh, the Wizards general manager, as uh, quotes. He said, this is a deal we had, cover, uh, we had coveted ever since I became general manager. I've always thought of Richmond would be a tremendous asset. We had to give a, up a tremendous player. He needs different words because he keeps using tremendous um, in Chris Webber to get him. Webber has done a lot for this team uh, and he says, I understand when you do trade young for old and big for little, you're open to criticism, but we desperately needed proven leadership and someone to get you a basket. So uh, definitely needed a leader and needed some score. Otis Thorpe is your leader. Mitch is your basket getter. Chris Webber, your old or your young tall guy for the two uh, smaller guys. But, hey, uh, worked out, I, you know, yeah, I worked out pretty well for Sacramento. Uh, you know, I don't know about Washington, yeah. but... Not, yeah, not,
0: not, uh, not great years for Mitch spend in, uh, Washington, unfortunately. Uh, but better things to be coming ahead eventually. Um, took a little while, but, 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 uh, better things were, um, happening as well. So, um, another notable thing before we actually get to the draft, uh, the, uh, the Kings, in addition, of course, to making the Chris trade, they were able to, uh, sign their 1996, uh, first round pick, uh, Pacersovacovich to uh, a three-year, three-point-three million-dollar rookie contract. He had been playing in Greece, so they're starting to uh, to put together some pieces that are going to become very important in their future.
2: Absolutely, yeah, it's uh, they're it's it's looking good finally for a little bit for Sacramento. But yeah, they got a great player in Weber, and uh, starting to get some other guys uh, in the fold as well. And uh, the Raptors are
0: making some moves uh, before the draft. They trade uh, Roy Rogers and two uh, first-round draft picks, both in the 98 draft, to the Rockets for Kevin Willis. So uh, another team uh, trying to get some veteran uh, leadership uh, going on uh, there. But obviously we talked a lot about Willis during the season. He had a really good year for the uh, Rockets, so it makes some sense to a certain degree. And uh, the Raptors also they signed Butch Carter to their coach to a two year contract after they had uh, they had they fired Daryl Walker and Carter was named interim coach. So, uh, on to the draft itself. what uh what stands out to you about the uh about <laughs> the, the players that selected early on in this draft
2: uh two back-to-back north carolina guys anton jameson and vince carter that's uh definitely pretty yes. interesting um
0: and, and of course the raptors select uh, jameson and the warriors select uh, carter
2: yes yes, yes. uh Dallas selecting Robert Trailer, Milwaukee taking Dirk Nowitzki, and, and then deciding this will be a good trade, and it uh, was good yeah. for one side. <laughs> one right side is Dallas, of course, because Dirk Nowitzki is still playing, and Robert Trailer is uh, did not play very long. Um, Ricky Davis, twenty one. That's really interesting. Oh yeah, Michael Olajuwon was the first overall pick. That's oh yes, not great. <laughs> That's right, not no. great. <laughs>
0: for uh, for the Clippers, yeah, uh, yeah, it, 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 and we I, we I think we've talked about this before. I I know it was talked a lot about in the Jonathan Abrams book um, on the one in, you know the um, preps or pros guys. I forget yeah. the name of that book off
2: the top of my head, but oh, yeah, what the hell? Um, get the name of it while we're while we're talking about yes,
0: it. Yes, so but but he um, I, but he. he it's remarkable that he was given the experience that he had, and the how late he came to basketball that he was able to play in the league at all, and much as actually like be kind of a solid defensive player later on in his career. Um, you know, obviously uh, you don't want that
2: for go ahead. Uh, boys among men was it was an uh, that's right. Yes, yes.
0: So, uh, but you obviously don't want that out of a number one pick, but you know uh, it it is actually it, like if he'd been drafted like 15th it would be like an incredibly inspiring story instead of being like you know a cautionary tale of whoa because he was number one in the
2: draft right so, yeah no no, right. no and I, I watched this draft not that long ago because it, it was up on YouTube and I forget it was maybe an anticipation of, the, of of this year's NBA draft so I was just kind of watching it. it's kind of t- to gather you know what the, the tenor around it was and Old Candy was you know to an extent a kind of a surprise pick at number one he had, had a great college career at the University of Pacific which is a, a very odd school to go to and, and the reason why is because he essentially didn't know and just like grabbed a book and was like, ah, there, and called them. He was like, Hey, can I come play for you? And they're like, Yeah, sure, I guess. And then he shows up and it's like the seven-foot giant. I mean, like, it's just an absolute beast that it shows up here. And yeah, he'd only been playing basketball, I think, competitively or even at all for like two, three years before this point. So it's, it's just nuts that he was able to get to this point. And like you're saying, if he even if he's drafted like 10th, you know, you know, it doesn't even have to be even if he's drafted eighth or whatever, it's it's still like I think a little candy ends up having a pretty good career because he did have a, a pretty solid career but it was the idea that when you get drafted number one there's always that thing around you that that, that idea that okay you're our guy you're a franchise savior and and people talk about his work ethic and whatnot and he wasn't a guy that really was in love with the game at all he just kind of played it because because he, he was what he was and he didn't grow up playing it and he didn't grow up really loving it so it was always hard to get through these guys and, and or get through to him and and like he was still solid he was able to just kind of be what he was and, and, and be okay but like you said there was there was guys that would just come to the, you know i remember the the for years and years and years the Clippers would bring in everybody I know Kareem said like after like 10 minutes he just quit or whatever because I remember they brought Kareem in to try to help him and he was just like ah, I can't help this kid he's, he's not and it was just because maybe he just didn't have the same you know love for the game or drive to be the greatest that some of these other guys have but unfortunately that was always kind of the label on him is that he was a bust and, and I don't know if that's necessarily fair given you know his circumstances this isn't a guy that was very highly touted I mean other than just his fears in college where he had put up really gaudy numbers but uh, yeah, there is some talent in this draft though a lot of talent after the old candy we kind of laugh at that but Mike Bibby goes number two uh, Ray of Friends who obviously had a great career uh, in the NBA, Anton Jamison, Vince Carter uh, Dirk Nowitzki who is still playing to this day uh, Paul Pierce, uh, Bonzi Wells, uh, guys like a Matt Harpering a lot of like kind of uh, bench guys Tyron Lue of course uh, shows up there uh, one of the big, I, an interesting note here uh, Felipe Lopez, I don't know if you remember uh, kind of the uh, the hysteria around him, but he was supposed to be kind of like the next big thing coming out of New York, which was the thing for like 15 years until people just gave up. But every year <laughs> there'd be like, oh, this is like Sebastian Telfair was another one of those. Like, oh, he grew up on the streets of New York, so that means he's good. And like, you know, and Felipe Lopez, you know, we went to, he was, he was like a big high school player, went to St. John's, stayed in in New York, and it was supposed to be the second coming, but again, like just wasn't quite to that level or whatnot, but he was another guy. Uh, Nazi Mohammed, too, showed up in the first round here, and he's a guy who, only until like what two years ago was playing in the NBA somehow. So right, go, uh, yeah, exactly. Go Nazi yeah. Muhammad, but
0: uh, uh, yeah, uh, Jason Williams was seventh overall. With oh, of Dia course, King's. yeah. yeah. Um, Larry Hughes was eighth with the uh, with the Sixers. Um, yeah, you you pretty much got the uh, the most notable. Of course, Tyron Lue number twenty three with the uh, with the Nuggets. Uh, uh, it's important and uh, um, another Mister Pacer Al Harrington at uh, uh, twenty five. So. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm calling
2: everybody Mr. Pacer, but I guess I am. So. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, a lot of talent yes. in this draft, but uh, yeah, it always yeah. it's always notable for the little candy going number one. And yeah, I like that we have defended because I I always agree with that too. That he, you know, a bust in the sense that he was drafted number one, but it's not his fault that he was drafted number one. You know what but I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, It's
0: just yeah. If he'd been even if he'd been drafted like. Seventh, like yeah, he yeah. totally be, it would totally have a different like frame. Like he'd be like this positive thing of this guy who like you know, you know, was able to play in the NBA despite having you know very little experience. So
2: right, but, like yeah. Ray friends goes number three, and I said he had a pretty good career, but like Ray Friends I mean, for all intents and purposes, did not do much either. But nobody considers Ray yeah. friends a, like a bust or whatever. You know, he had a right. few solid years and then kind of went away yeah. or whatever. And and yeah, old sure. candy was a much worse player than that. But like a guy like a Robert Trailer also comes up because he got traded for Dirk. But I think you know, right. had he not done that, it, it probably wouldn't have. But yeah. It's definitely a, it's a little unfair, but we've uh, hopefully done a good job of, of defending him there. So,
0: yes. So, uh, and we have some trades that were that were consummated either on on draft day or the, or the next day. Uh, the Denver Nuggets traded Tony Batiste and Tyron Liu to the Lakers for Nick Van Exel. So, Liu not going to the uh, not going to the Nuggets, going to the Lakers. I, I guess this is probably a good. Uh, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the show, but the notable thing about the Lakers Jazz Series, of course, is uh, Nick Van Exel uh, during a uh, during a timeout where uh, everyone is uh, clapping out of the huddle. I, I think it was – he said uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, but it's 1-2-3 Cancun was uh, – or 1-2 Cancun was the <laughs> – uh <laughs> her, her – so uh, he got shipped out, uh, went to the uh, Nuggets. Yeah, they didn't get a really good, good return for him, No, I was going to say,
2: I mean, Nick Van is really good at this point, and Tony Batiste yeah. is, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Fine. right. Yeah, they, the
0: Lakers didn't get much for him, you know, for a guy who was an All Star player. Yeah, that's uh, uh, it's gonna hurt him. Gonna I, hurt him. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, there this you is go. really gonna
2: hurt the Lakers. I don't, I don't know what they're that's trying to do here, but I don't think yes. they're gonna build a winner. Yeah, they
0: they, they did have to trade. They traded some talent away for, for financial reasons as well. Is it, it, there it's especially going to happen the next the with the lockout year where they're going to be in a financial crunch because of. Um, Shaq's contract, and they're going to have to trade away some guys who you know were, were pretty good. And it actually worked out for him long-term, because they were better fits for Phil Jackson. But, uh, right. you know,
2: they, uh, so I, they I, thought I thought I was right here, because I don't remember Tony Bati ever suiting up for the Lakers, and it's true he did not play for them. He got traded... Uh, Spoiler, during the lockout, he got traded to the Boston Celtics for Travis Knight. So, again, probably ah, just trying to reduce go. money there because I of don't course. think Travis Knight was making as much as uh, twenty. And, and,
0: and, and Travis Knight had gone to, from the Lakers to the Celtics, and not when they went back to the Lakers.
2: Right, yeah, right, so. right. They loved yeah. them some Travis
0: Knight. Who didn't love uh, uh, Who didn't? Travis who did not love <laughs> Travis Knight? Yes. Um... The Of course, as we mentioned, the, the Warriors trade Vince Carter and Cash of the Raptors for Anton Jameson. Uh, the Grizzlies trade Antonio Daniels to the Spurs for Carl Herrera and Felipe Lopez. So Lopez uh, going to the Grizzlies, the New York sensation, going to do great there, I'm sure. Uh, the Jazz trading Nazi Muhammad to the Sixers for a uh, first-round pick in 99. The Suns trading Steve Nash to the Mavericks for Pat Garrity. Um, uh, Martin, I don't know how to pronounce Martin. Is it just Mercep or is it? M- M- I've seen that name, but never actually heard that name.
2: Um, yeah, I don't know. Mer- we'll go with Mercep. But, uh, sorry. Mercep. Okay. Well, sorry. Sorry, we don't sorry don't Martin, for, you for screaming your name. name.
0: Yeah. Uh, Bubba Wells and a 1999 uh, first round draft pick that turned out to be Sean Marion. So that uh, actually was a better trade for the. Uh, um a better trade for the Suns than you might have expected, and uh, the Bucks uh, per- traded uh, Pat Garrity and uh, Dirk Nowitzki's to the Mavericks
2: for uh, for Robert Trailer. Yeah, so. that's that's gonna suck to lose Pat Garrity, man. He's a he's a solid player. It so uh, is definitely yes. gonna hurt. Uh, them, I, I was uh, I was looking at uh, Travis Knight for some odd reason because I remember this being the uh, kind of a story about him. But yeah, do you remember that he uh, he was drafted by the Bulls in the first round of the NBA draft and they just renounced his rights, which I found pretty funny. Oh, I'm sure it was gosh. financially obligated because they like they would have to give him a three year contract and and they were right. obviously a little tight on money because Michael Jordan was making thirty million dollars. But sure. uh, yeah, so they were, he drafted 29th overall, so it wasn't like he was like a top ten pick or whatever. But yeah, okay. they just straight up renounced his rights and he would then go on at the it Lakers. So kind of funny, almost like a burden for
0: yeah, almost like a burden. I guess at that point,
2: but yeah. It, it's just funny to think of Gerald Reinsorf as being as cheap, though, even if there is a legitimate reason to do it. Sure, sure. Like, this this, this yeah. is definitely one that people use a lot of times as well for him. But it's like, well, no, yeah. they were paying you know Michael Jordan a lot of money. They, you know, yeah. didn't want to. But yeah, and it was true. Sure, it was not. I mean, really. I mean, but, you know, yeah. Well, but they'll draft him yeah. that, if you know, because it's always weird. Like, I don't know if they would have drafted, uh, like, somebody draft him and then, like, ah, he sucks. never Ryan, like, I, I don't know. It's, oh, it's always kind of an interesting thing there because that does not happen often where they draft somebody and then just say, ah, you know what? Get out of here. <laughs> yes, yes. So
0: the. Uh and here we go—the NBA Finals, the uh, Chicago Bulls against the rested Utah Jazz. Both the number one <laughs> seeds from each conference, are a rematch, of course, from the uh, previous <laughs> season. And uh, yeah, it, it's—it's it, a—I mean, fascinating series for a lot of reasons because, of course, we know um, and, and we knew going in that the. Uh, the the Bulls, uh, you know, this was going to be the last run, or you know, high, high, high likelihood it was going to be the last run for this team uh, going in. We expected George to probably retire after after the series, and um, of course, you know, the uh, the Jazz, you know, Stockton and Malone are both getting older, despite being great. They're you know, this is kind of their you know, perhaps their last chance to get a ring, and of course, to you know, be the
2: only the only team that would have beaten the Bulls in the finals, and uh, the Bulls able to pull it out. Yeah, it's one of the most iconic NBA Finals matchups of all time. Of course, Game 6 being the, the most prominent game their iconic game. Uh, the Iconic quote final game for Michael Jordan we'll, uh, we'll just ignore that that ever happened that Jordan's thing ever happened uh, he hits the shot over Byron Russell uh, for the Bulls second threepeat repeat of the decade um, as far as the series I mean Jordan had an incredible series as well 33.5 uh, points per game um, Malone went 25 points per game 10.5 rebounds per game Stockton 9.7 points per game uh, 8.7 assists per game I think the most notable thing though one thing that is is, is pretty interesting there is that a lot of the games are tight I mean game one 88 85 game two 93 88 with the Bulls winning the Jazz win game one I should mention as well. Uh, Bulls win Game 2 by a slim margin. Then Game 3, the Bulls win 96-254. <laughs> so a little bit of a blowout there. Uh, then Game 4, the Bulls come back again by narrow margin, 86-82. And that's what made the series so awesome. Is other than Game 3, you ignore Game 3, we'll, let, we'll strike that from the record. Everything else is like right down to the final moment. Uh, game 5, people kind of forget about this one too. The Jazz eke it out. 83 to 81 and then of course game six uh bulls win by one 87 86 on michael jordan's uh historic shot but uh, as far as going back to that that 96 54 game the most lopsided game in the history of the nba finals and the uh, 54 points by the jazz is also an nba record for the fewest points in a game since the inception of the 24 second shot clock so not great to do that during the nba finals no not not ideal and
0: and as we uh, talked about previous show, of course, the the lowest point total uh, had actually been set during the regular season was fifty five. So, um,
2: uh, but this when basketball uh, was better though. Jason, are you kidding? Oh, like this is, yeah, this of is course. real basketball right here. This yes, era right now is is like fifty four points in NBA five. That's basketball, Jason. That's real deal basketball. That is these, for basketball. I'm sure there's these floppers being, now. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: There was no flopping in this game. Absolutely. No. So, yes. So. Um, uh, yes yeah, so it, it was not uh it was bad it was it was a very bad game o- outside of that yeah as you talked about like incredibly competitive series i mean every other game is uh five points or uh fewer you know several of them are you know uh within a basket and so it, you know obviously is seems like a uh, a series that it largely could have gone uh, either way but uh but obviously, the, the Bulls and Jordan will it in the end, uh, incredibly. Uh, one notable interesting thing uh, about this series is, uh, of course, uh, the, during this uh, whole situation, there is the uh, – well, this is, a, and of course, for you and I, but probably not for a lot – necessarily for a lot of people uh, here unless you were around at the time. But uh, during this whole time, there was a wrestling storyline being built between Dennis Rodman and Carl uh, Malone in uh, WCW at the time. Dennis Rodman had appeared multiple times for uh, WCW. He'd wrestled, uh, you know, made a few wrestling appearances already. Carl Malone was new to this, but uh, uh, Dennis Rodman actually um, he uh, skipped a practice to um, to attend a uh, to attend a live uh, wrestling event. Um, And, uh, and there was a on-court incident that where, um... Rodman and um, Carmelo I think they may have Been like running For this bar Or something And they, yes. they kind of Like got tangled up And they started You know kind of Like got into a Physical altercation And there was Acquisitions I think By Bob Costas At the time Of them you know Like playing You know the re- That, that <laughs> up for You know the The sake of the, you know, Being able to make money In wrestling So right. which, Bob uh, Costas
2: Was not uh, Very interested in, in pro wrestling At all He's definitely no. yeah, Not a big fan Of uh, wrestling Yeah, right. it, it, It's almost comical Because like they're Running back on the court And they like trip And then like They just trip over Each other like four times on the way up to the court. It's one of the most like, and everyone's probably seen it if you, if you know what we're talking about here. But yeah, they're just like very oddly rolling uh, to the front of the court. And I, I think, if I remember correctly, that Rodman had skipped a practice uh, during this point as well. Uh, maybe to do the something with the wrestling. I forget what it was. But yeah, it was, uh, was building up to bash the beach. 1998 folks
0: yeah uh, that that was in that
2: was in August Uh, yeah you you do
0: not want to watch that match no Um, there are are other Dennis Robin wrestling matches that are worth watching but that is not one of them
2: no definitely just assume it was fun and then don't ever watch it because it was not I believe Robin actually may have fallen asleep during the match yes um, he uh, he was slumped over the top rope uh, I believe asleep so Yeah. So that's, that's don't watch it. It's bad. It's really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But Malone, I mean, if you want to see the chiseled packs of Carl Malone, that is one opportunity to do so. so. He actually like took it seriously and like
0: made it, tried to make it into something better than it was. So, Dennis, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give not him that. so much. I don't say
2: a lot of nice things about Carl Malone, but I will say that. So. <laughs> yes, he definitely tried. Uh, numerous records uh, set by Utah's low scoring in this. As mentioned, uh, the 54 points is the lowest point total in NBA history since the inception of the Shot Clock. Uh, Chicago's 42-point margin of victory, the largest in finals history. We're still talking about that 96-54 uh, game here. Uh, Utah's 23, 23 points in the second half, back when basketball was basketball, uh, the lowest in playoff history. Uh, their nine points in the fourth quarter was the fewest in finals history. Um, and then 21 field goals made was the lowest in the final session. 21 field goals made. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the previous record was 23 in 1955 when the ball yeah. was like oblong, <laughs> like much. You know what I
0: mean? <laughs> yes. yes. Not, not the best. But, um, yes, it all came down to, of course, a thrilling uh, game six. Uh, 87-86 win for the Bulls uh michael jordan had you know 45 points in that game and uh incredible performance as well uh you know scotty pippen was high was hobbled at that point with a serious back injury not able to contribute much and um you know of course the other bulls being you know fairly offensively uh limited in um you know to performing but otherwise you know they were uh you know uh they're not that kind of team so uh jordan you know putting all that on himself and uh and and Leading the team to victory with you know a, a clutch, uh, we've all of course seen the uh, you know the, the the push off on uh, Byron Russell and you know hitting the eventual you know game winner to uh, to clinch the series you know uh, classic moment and uh, you know classic way for Jordan to uh,
2: to to go out for ignoring the wizard cheers which you right. know which we should <laughs> we probably should yeah <laughs> which right. I am all in favor of, of definitely doing but yeah no uh, definitely an yes. iconic series an iconic time to be an NBA fan uh, highest rated NBA finals in history. Uh, Six NBC broadcasts between the Bulls and the Jazz. They averaged an 18.7 rating, which is pretty nuts. uh, Here, the highest and the most watched NBA Finals game, uh, game six. Of all time. uh, Yeah, Yeah. of all time was game six, uh, which averaged a 22.3 rating uh, for viewers on a Sunday night. So I remember that being a... uh I, I remember watching it, I remember where it was, yeah, it was like everybody in Chicago, sure. I mean, there was no, like I don't know what the market share was in Chicago but my god, like, you could have heard a pin drop in the streets uh, when this game was going on the lowest rated uh, and least watched finals, is we're kind of doing a juxtaposition here 2003 NBA Finals, which averaged a 5.2 rating, so just kind of give you an idea there, 5.2 in 2003 22.3 for this game 6 in 1998,
0: so. Yeah, and even maybe more telling is, in 98 yeah, th- 35.89 million viewers, and then in 2000. 3, 8.06 million viewers now this is game two so it's not exactly apples to apples comparison but just think of where the nba was kind of on the radar in 98 versus where it was in 2003 culturally and that is a stark shift in in just you know six years five yeah. years mm-hmm. so yeah so i'm really bad at math today for whatever reason <laughs> that's not what we're supposed <laughs> to do here. you know what hey, that's not us yes so um a few news and notes after the season before we get to the lockout Uh, Phil Jackson's attorney confirmed that Jackson rejected an offer from Chicago to coach another year so any kind of uh, you know uh, any kind of hope that he might come back and they might bring the band back together pretty much ends right there and um, there's some uh and then the next day, he resigns as head coach for the uh, Bulls, officially. So. Uh, and in late June, there are negotiations over a new collective bargaining agreement between the, the Players Union and the league, but unfortunately those uh, stall. Um, the, uh, in June 29th, the union files a grievance on behalf of 220 players with guaranteed contracts. In anticipation of them being denied paychecks, and then uh, on well b- before we reach July first, one other bit of note: to the uh, New Jersey Nets j- just under the uh, the deadline, they reach a agreement d- with a uh, with a group of businessmen to uh, sell the uh, sell the team. Uh, the deal still needs to be finalized and then approved by the board of governors, which I think happens after the uh, lockout. Like, I'm not sure if they. I mean, I guess they can they can conduct business during the lockout, just the team the uh, the players cannot. So. Uh, not really super important. I'm sure we'll get to that at uh, some point. But uh, hopefully
2: the swamp dragons are finally 30. coming. Yeah, hopefully this will oh, finally yeah, give honestly, us the swamp yeah. dragons, which is what we've Probably all wanted is. from finally the New franchise. So, yeah.
0: so July 1st the uh, the lockout begins. That means that teams can have no contact with players, no players can be signed, no trade can be made. Team workout facilities are closed to players, and NBA sponsored summer leagues are canceled. So.
2: Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff here. There's there's a great article. I, I don't want to read all of it. I'll let you guys look it up. But uh, if you look it up, it's from June 30th New York Times. It's called Basketball. It's their ball and NBA owners call for lockouts. But uh, essentially, it just kind of relays. We've been talking about it a lot as a series. It's been building and building and building and building. But there's, there's some details here, some concrete details of what the issues really were. I'll, I'll read the kind of the first few paragraphs. Just kind of give you the idea. Uh, September 1995, Commissioner David Stern announced the signing of a six-year collective bargaining agreement that was supposed to uh, preserve labor peace into the next century. When I initially read that uh, line, I was like, what are they talking about? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like 1995. The next century was 2000. I, I kind of forget that. You know what I mean? It's like I'm so used to living in this era that we are now. I was like, next century? What are you talking about? And it makes sense because it was going to be the next century. But uh, a three-year out clause enabled the owners to renegotiate the contracts, uh, the, the contract of the collective bargaining agreement. If players' salaries exceeded 51.8% of basketball-related income, and then with a the number of $100 million deals signed over the last two years, the salary figure reached more than 57% this year. So on March 23rd, the owners voted 27-2. Too, which I, I mean, I get what they're doing there, but isn't that kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy? Like, ah, if we play, if the players make too much money, we're going to lock out. It's like, well, you control that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't sign them to deals then if you're really worried about that. But, you know, I, I, I it's, this whole lockout's bizarre, but yeah, that's, that's, yes. it, it's like, oh, if, if these players end up making more, then we'll lock out. Like, oh, they make more. It's like, well, yeah, but you were the, big reason why that happened right like you control that and so it makes it it, it, to me I just find it funny that they like blame the players again for all this and it's like well you signed into these contracts (laughs) like it's your your fault right like I mean you just not pay Kevin Garnett 120 million dollars I mean you don't have to and and complain about it but it is what it is but uh, during the lockouts as mentioned yeah none of that stuff's gonna happen um few things that they were looking to do one one note uh, charity games will still be allowed and we'll uh, talk about that more in uh, later months here but uh the owners have proposed uh, that no player can make over 30 percent of a team's total salary cap meaning the highest paid player in the league would average about 10 million dollars under the new rules uh 13 players now make more than that amount this season so that'd be a drastic redu- reduction uh yeah to have 13 players you know <laughs> already right now making over the threshold that they really want uh and then uh there's always some worries as well about the, the bird exemption and how some players like uh, Michael Jordan gets $30 million uh, because of the bird exemption. But really again, like young phenom, like Kevin Garnett is always mentioned here, uh, gobbled up quote, gobbled up $126 million yes. over seven years. That greedy, greedy gobbler, Kevin yep. Garnett He's <laughs> very greedy. Greedy gobbler. Yeah. Like how dare he sign our blank check or what? Yes. It's really weird. But, uh, yeah. So at the end of the, uh, so the owners have made a proposal for a five-year rookie scale, so the first three years of which would be guaranteed by the team. And then after that first year, a team would have right of first refusal in order to keep the player. The uh, the current three-year rookie scale allows players unrestricted free agent after their third season. So uh, one quote here by David Cern, and then we'll move on here. We think the potential revenue generation capacity in the NBA is healthy. It's the system that doesn't work. We can't afford to affect play – we can't afford – we can't afford to affect play of the season under the current system. There are a number of uh, clubs will do uh, that will do better not operating than operating. So he's basically saying that the teams would do better by not playing than playing, which is bizarre. So he says that's uh, something the players do not seem to understand and I think you are lying David Stern that I do not believe that is true. That some teams make more money by not playing than playing, but maybe, I don't know, but I yeah, mean, I, I uh, as you've talked about a lot there are a lot of uh, creative accounting ways you can do, and I'm not to this day. To Still to this day, yeah. Like, right? Oh, yeah. No. And it's like, oh wait, what yeah. about that gigantic check you got from the NBA? Like, oh yeah, 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 about that. But <laughs> whatever, who cares right. about the, right. the you know yeah. the, the the NBA TV money and all the the TV deals? We well, have yeah, no money, <laughs> like. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So look at how much these yeah. players make. <laughs> like,
0: right. Yeah. How how dare Kevin Garnett make us you know, gobbling up into this contract? Greedy, gobble up that all that money. Yes. Greedy, greedy anyway, gobbler. So, but so uh, so yeah. So uh, but you know, like, I'm sure it's not gonna last very long. You know, probably <laughs> probably over. won't
2: go into the season. David I mean, David sort of is nothing if not a man who is willing to to. to take a few pegs down and make sure that the betterment of the game is is definitely at, at the foremost. Absolutely, so. absolutely not. And Billy so, Hunter too. It's, it's great to go. Billy Hunter and David Stern, they're like, you know, those dudes. Yeah. Very close relationships. So I'm assuming this should yeah. go quite well. <laughs> so uh, officially, uh,
0: Kenny Anderson of the Celtics becomes the first player to miss a paycheck when he is not paid his schedule 5.8 million. Yeah, I guess I don't know if sticks. that was all like One yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was like one lump sum or 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 how that goes. But yes. So uh so yes. That that is lockout history. So uh I'm sure Kenny is was was glad to be to make that history. You know for (laughs) the first one. So yes. So uh that's it. We're we're locked out. Uh nothing uh nothing officially to report. We're uh you know, it's uh we're done with basketball for
2: the foreseeable future, so we'll see how that goes. Things are gonna get a little weird. We got the uh we got some got uh, some, uh, you know, uh, Intercontinental, uh, Intercontinental. I'm, I'm thinking wrestling, got <laughs> this international competition coming up. <laughs> Inter, <the> Intercontinental title <laughs> tournament, you know, it's going on in 1998, you know. I'm sure, you know, I think that. it was, yeah, I think it actually was. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think
0: it was a little bit later, but yes, it was, oh, it was, no, it was, it was that year, yes, September, I believe, so. Yeah. Um, yes, Pac <laughs> was screwed by, with uh, Ken Shamrock, was yeah, it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I a, so. uh, yeah, I believe so,
2: yeah. The dungeon match between... Uh, Ken Shamrock and Owen Hart and Stuart's Dungeon. Oh, yeah. That's a good it's one.
0: Exciting, exciting stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that was a right rough Fryer this time, too, I believe. Yeah, exactly. So, so nice and reference.
2: Yeah. So. yeah. Nice, Sable Very won the good. bikini so. contest. That was that was cool. Yeah,
0: that was good. <laughs> yes. are, are we just going to read the results of Fully Loaded? i going basically I'm going basically going down the list. Uh, Undertaker. There and, we go.
2: And Steve Austin defeated uh, Kane and Mankind in the main event. I actually knew that. I'm not actually looking at the Wikipedia. Yeah. I'm that much of a freaking nerd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think I may be able to recite that entire card, but I don't want to because you are our basketball people no. and you don't know
0: about yes. that other life that we had. Was there so. Val Venus and D'Lo Brown match on that that show as well? Yes. <laughs> what, wasn't it two out of three falls at Rock and uh, Triple H? There was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I probably know more about uh wrestling in '98 than I do about the NBA in '98, to right, be honest. So,
2: again, uh, that's a life that yeah. we don't want these people to know about. So, no, we don't. <laughs> so. so, yes, I was reading right. Wikipedia. Yes, I don't know anything about wrestling, whatever. Right, Who knows? Yeah. yeah, I just so, know about that Carl uh, Malone and Dennis Rodman thing, Bash of the Beach. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah there you go. So, uh... I Can you believe Goldberg only was in a battle royal at Bash of the Beach? I mean, he just won the title, like, days prior, and he's in a freaking battle royal? He doesn't... Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, sorry. It's <laughs> another, another, another podcast. Sorry. Go. Yeah, so...
0: Actually, I believe that he beat Kurt Henning at Bash of the Beach. I believe it's Road Wild where he was in the... Oh, you're uh, right. Where, like, <laughs> God, in the David, you're so. right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. God. So, this took a strange turn, but, what, <laughs> but it, it's not unusual for this show. So, uh, anyway... Um, thanks everyone for checking us out. Hopefully you have, uh, enjoyed the, uh, 20 Years Ago, uh, series. Sorry for being a little late on it, but we caught ourselves up. We're in July now, so, uh, so, I, we, we feel good about that. And, um... Uh if you uh, like what we're doing, you can uh, let us know on Twitter or Facebook at Over and Back NBA. Uh, also, if you want to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever, we, we're pretty much in every uh, platform where you can listen to podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Tuned In, all that good stuff. So uh, find us there, leave us a rating and uh, review, and we would greatly appreciate it. So until next time, thanks. We'll be back again soon.